Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to BibleQuest, the Tuesday edition. I'm your host, Jonathan Sadler, and today we've got Scott Smelser with us. How are you doing, Scott? Doing all right. Got unmuted just in time this time. There we go. Yeah, good to see you. And uh, Justin Dobbs is with us as well. How are you, Justin? Doing fine. Thank God. How are you? Doing well. Doing well. And Dan Bunting, how are you, Dan? I'm doing great. Thanks for asking. Good to see you guys. All right. So, um, Scott, what are we going to be talking about today? Okay, um, you guys were covering because all of you are raising boys, and we had y'all talking about raising boys last week, and we're going to finish that up today. And we're going to be in Proverbs one through six, so I'd encourage uh, if if you're at a place where you can get your Bible open, uh, have your Bible open, uh, and be looking at Proverbs one through six. I'm going to be asking the panel to discuss mainly four points. The first one is how do we teach our children and the importance of teaching our children or whatever practical points they want to use to illustrate maybe some ways to do it, getting our our young men to be listening to what they need to be listening to and not listening to the wrong voices. Uh, And really there's a lot about that in Proverbs one through four, who to listen to, and who not to listen to. And it's an important challenge. Uh, And if we fail in that, we can seriously fail our children, Uh, but we also have to prepare them to be going out into the world where they have to be responsible to be able to do this without our control and stuff. We're we're training them. In fact, on on the Facebook page, I changed it from raising boys to raising young men. You know, if you're a corn farmer, you're raising corn you know that's what you do you're not just raising those little bitty pieces of corn in the chinese meal you know you're you're aiming to raise corn and so what if you if you've got a son we need to be thinking about we're raising him to be a man so who to listen to who not to listen to then we're also going to talk about in chapter five teaching them and helping them to be where of worldly women, especially the, the virtual uh, prostitutes all over the internet. And then in chapter six, to understand the importance of work. And then finally, teaching them humility, because the first thing in the list of abominations to God is the proud look. So let's start with um, who do we and, and go whatever direction you want to guys with this. Uh, what does the text say? Uh, what are some ways to do it? Why is this so important? Uh, some practical tips. Training our sons what sources they need to go to and appreciate for wisdom and growth and what sources they need to realize are just foolishness. Proverbs 1 through 4. Who wants to start? It starts off in Proverbs 1. Um mentioning in the first few verses uh, kind of the two different types of people that can come and approach knowledge and wisdom. Um, and so you've got uh, the fool and the actual wise person or the prudent one uh, uh, who are kind of cross-examined and described in the first seven verses, but ultimately the first source that needs to be listened to and went to uh, in training our, our children and, and just training ourselves also is the Lord. So verse seven, 
is the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Um, and that's just true in every aspect of life uh, and a constant theme throughout all of the wisdom literature that you can try to figure out life for yourself. You can try to, you know, do it your own way. But if you do it the Lord's way, the Lord's way is correct. Um, and that you see that consistently throughout Proverbs. You see that consistently through Ecclesiastes and the Psalms. Um, so first it needs to start with the Lord. Uh, but then later on in the chapter, uh, in verse eight and following, it mentions some people to listen to and some people not to listen to. And this is how the beginning of Proverbs looks like it's, it's kind of constructed, that it's a father speaking to their son. Uh, and so verse eight says, my son, hear the instruction of thy father and forsake not the law of thy mother, for they shall be an ornate, uh, an ornament of grace unto thy head and chains about thy neck. Um, and so listen to your parents, uh, listen to the instructions that they give you, listen to your father and it'll be helpful for you. It'll protect you uh, and those sorts of things. And that's something that's difficult um, for children, I think, uh, because it's really easy for kids to think that they know all the answers, that they're smarter than their parents, that they parents just don't understand and things like that. Most of the time, um, and there may be some exceptions, but most of the time parents know exactly what to say to their kids and understand the situation. And there are changes in society and culture and technology and stuff like that. So like my parents, for example, um, whenever I was growing up, I knew more about smartphones than my parents did. That's not what we're talking about here. Um, we're talking about life and, and living in life and how to view like the effect of friends that your friends can have, what influence they can have on you. Um, big kinds of life decisions, like what to do for a living in your work. Um, where to live, uh, who to surround yourself with, and those kinds of things. Parents understand those deeper points of life better than a child does. And so children need to listen to their parents because a good-hearted parent, good-hearted father and mother has their child's best interest uh, at, at heart when they're giving those instructions. Let me, let me ask a question here. So how, could, you've all seen families where when the mom and dad speak, the children appreciate the information, they value the information, and they benefit from it. And you've all seen families where when mom and dad speak, it's like the teacher on Charlie Brown, you know, wah, 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 and the kids don't want to listen. How practically, what are some tips on how you train your kids to realize that they need to listen to you? What are some practical ways you do that? Two, two suggestions. <clears throat> um, one, uh, one, we need to be training our children from an early age. I mean, this is not something that you just sort of develop with a 10, 11, 12 year old. Right. Um, uh, we have a saying in our home that if, if you don't listen, you can't obey. And there are consequences for not obeying. Therefore, there are consequences for not listening. So if, if we are from an early age, not in a ruthless way, but in a gentle uh, compassionate way, uh, reminding our children that we expect first-time obedience. Um, then when we speak, we expect them to listen. That's kind of the first thing. Um, sure. I think this, the second thing is, you know, Jesus said, Matthew 7, uh, whatever you wish others would do to you, do also to them. Uh, so if we, if we listen well to our children and develop a rapport with them, uh, again, from an early age, you know, a four-year-old says, dad, 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 and they want to show you something really cool, uh, you know, their lint looks like a dinosaur, you know, whatever, whatever it is, it may be ridiculous, um, but you, you stop what you're doing, if you can, um, you know, teach them not to interrupt and all those 
good, right things, but you give them your full attention, just like we hope that our Father in heaven uh, gives us his attention when we want to talk with him. If we teach our children they have our attention, then I think they're going to want to give us their attention. There's a mutual respect there. Good points. Uh, Dan, any thoughts on this? Well, it struck me in, in chapter two, in Proverbs chapter two, when he's talking about if you receive the instruction, if you care about it, how it's going to help this son. But this is a big deal about whether your specific question was, well, how do I get the son to be interested in what I have to say? Uh, and, and a lot of it, I think, Justin, you're, you're hitting the nail on the head. And there may be a situation where we, we didn't start off uh, well at the beginning and we're trying to play catch up and we're trying to now speak to our children and we have maybe a bit of a deficit and we have, have to work our way back and maybe we need to earn some trust or build that connection but then it just comes right down to the fact that maybe I don't have anything worth saying because I don't know anything <laughs> so a lot of it can come right back onto me uh, and in chapter two, verse six, the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of his saints. Then you will understand the righteousness, understand righteousness and justice and equity in every good path. Uh, when we begin to invest and work on these things ourselves, um, absolutely for the benefit of our children, uh, but but we need to work on this for ourselves and about ourselves so that we can start sharing that with our kids. And when that starts to come out in our lives, um, then it's going to be something that is enticing. Because I think that that's one of the, the difficulties here. How do you get a kid interested in wisdom? It's not a video game. Uh, you need to have it showing up in a life that is worth living. Yeah. And you raised something that uh, uh, some people in the audience may because a lot of people find themselves in this situation. Um, I remember one family, both mom and dad become a Christian. Uh, the boys have, the child is half grown. He has never been disciplined before, you know, and sometimes you're playing catch up. Uh, two scenarios here. One, you just start cracking down. Or two, you have a talk with the child and acknowledge I've missed some things. I've, I've not provided some things that you need. We need to make an adjustment. Which of those is going to be more effective? Oh my goodness, the second. Absolutely. Yeah. Because you're treating them like a human being because they are. They're not, <laughs> they're not human being loading. <laughs> they are fully human, and we're trying to help them get on their feet, and uh, we have to respect that. Yeah. I mean, I I anything. It, I, I don't know what, what subdivision you're in. Uh, and they may have some home association rules that are that are just in a file somewhere and most people are just getting along but if all of a sudden they're coming out and measuring how high your grass is and giving you tickets and stuff it's like what you know you, you're, that's going to be kind of resented um if if a child is been allowed to get away with a lot and not listen and misbehave and then all of a sudden he's getting punished that can be resented, but if you stop and explain why this is important. Uh, one other thing I think I would mention too is to help the child realize God gave me a job to do here with you. You know, it's my job to help prepare you. And, and, and 
help them see and appreciate that. That that helps greatly. Any other thoughts on, on this whole first line, who to be listening to, who not? Justin? Uh, kind of in connection, we've been saying you want to have something worth saying to our children. Um, it, it's not in Proverbs, but Ephesians 6, uh, verse 2 and 3, the instruction is to honor your father and mother, verse 2. Uh, this is the first minute with a promise, verse 4, that it may go well with you. Um, children are instructed to obey their parents with the assumption that obeying the parents is actually good for the child. And too often it's easy to uh, give our children instructions that are just for our convenience. And really we want to be planning and being intentional about uh, giving the instructions that are for their blessing. And the best way to bless your children, I would think, would be to teach them to follow the Lord. So with that, as, as we're, you said, you're not just raising boys, we're raising young men. Um, I, I, I think it's really helpful. Proverbs 1 talks about this uh, transition, it seems like, where the young man uh, is listening to dad, but also people are enticing him to come and listen to him. There are Proverbs 1, is that verse, uh, verse 10? My son of sinners entice you, do not consent. Our, our children are going to be listening to a lot of different people. And I think if we can uh, be aware of their friends and try to encourage them to build friendships with older, wiser, godly people, men and women, uh, that will help to kind of give them surround sound on godly wisdom. Because we're not, they're, they're going to listen to us, Lord willing, if we've developed this relationship with them as we should. But we also want to be helping them to listen to godly wisdom from other uh, voices that can be really helpful to them. Yeah. Um, and what if you notice that your child is being more influenced by ungodly people? Maybe it's his cousin, maybe it's the kids down the street, maybe it's some kids at school, maybe it's some teacher or something. What, what, what do you do and maybe more important, how quickly should you start considering what's going on? And you just jump in. I, I mean, we, you just said, and I think you're absolutely right, that you don't just immediately jump in and start disciplining the child without any heads up as to you know, why life has changed. Um, but that doesn't mean you don't jump in immediately uh, at, at, to make a life change. But you jump in and you, you talk with the child. And maybe you don't need to jump in and just say, oh, all your friends are bad. And uh, I think so. And you, know, and you lock your child up in your room. It might not be um, a, a removal of the environment or a, a caging up of the child from an environment. It might merely be help, help, helping the child have a good lens to see their environment or um, uh, spending more time with your son. Uh, talking about good ideas and right ideas so that then when they hear those bad ideas, they're going to have a clear understanding about, about what the reaction is. Um, but, but the immediate and overwhelming interaction between the father and, and the mother and this, uh, this young man, I think, is absolutely vital yeah. uh, so, that, so that you're there with them as they encounter these things. And if he, if he sees that it could be his responsibility and opportunity to help his cousin, to help the boy down the street. And maybe, maybe 
take him with you and dad to go fishing or, you know, working mm-hmm. on a go-kart or, or, or going and chopping wood or something where mm-hmm. he can start learning some things, you know, which way is the influence going? Right. Uh, is, are we being transformed by the world? Or are we being lights? Go ahead, Dan. Mm-hmm. Because one of the points in the book of Proverbs is he describes what happens to people when they go down those paths and that he describes what they're like. He doesn't hide that from his son. He said he doesn't say, "Son, don't listen to bad people. Lock him in a closet." And like he says, "This is what the result is." And so our children um, may be—they're they're going to see things, no matter how much we try to hide them from seeing uh, the world. Uh, they're going to see the tragedy of the world, and and being having a close interaction will help them to shine God's light on the world, or at the very least, have God's light to see how ugly the world is. Jonathan. And that's um, one of the dangers of peer pressure that need to be addressed by parents to children. Um, that comes up consistently through this section. And also, this would be kind of a repeated pattern in the chapters we're looking at, that the thing that you're being tempted to do or enticed to do offers something that it won't be able to deliver. Um, and or pretends to offer something that it can't deliver or, or some kind of variation of that, but it's, it's not what you expect it to be. And so this scenario that the father paints for the son is like a bunch of people offering like, hey, come and do this thing with us and we'll all get rich together. And, and it'll be great. We'll all have one purse. We'll, we'll go and mug some people and like we'll get to have all this money and, and everything will be great. And uh, he breaks down in extreme detail what's actually happening in that situation. In verse 17 of chapter one, he says, in vain, they spread their net in the sight of any bird, but these men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives and such are the ways of everyone who's greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessors. And so teaching children to look beyond maybe the immediate temporary gratification and see the final result of your decisions and the final final result of your friend's decisions because often kids don't think about that and adults have a hard time thinking about that sometimes too that you know what i'm doing right now in the moment isn't going to take me where i really want to be Um, but it might feel good while i'm doing it or i might feel accepted by my friends while i'm doing it but that's not the most important thing it's actually very dangerous long term to be involved in those kinds of relationships i want to throw out one little thing i thought about not mentioning but maybe it'll be worth uh saying there's something, a point I've been making young men when I'm working with young men during the summer uh, in some settings, a question that seems to strike them. Because like when you're in high school, how important does other high schoolers' opinion of you, how important does that seem to you? Oh, so, so you know, being accepted by them, being approved, you know, getting to sit at the table with the cool kids you know, or whatever, that is so huge. And one question that has kind of resonated, and there's some exceptions to this, maybe you grew up in a small town and you're good friends with guys that you knew for years. But in most cases, I'll ask the boys, I'll say, how many of you think of your father's friends? How many of your fathers uh, are, it's real important to them, the relationship that they have with the guys they went to high school with? And by far, most of the kids, it's like, now you know they don't know who dad went to high school with those those people aren't they're not even in the picture and realize you know treat people nice but these people that you're going to school with for some hours are not the central people in your life 
and don't let that control you. Uh, any other thoughts on any of this in one through four about who to listen to and who to not listen to before we move to our second topic? Just one, one follow-up. Um, try to tell a brief story about this. There's a situation with my oldest uh, not too long ago. He was, he loves people and not, not everybody does, but he's just, he's a real people person. And he tends to gravitate toward uh, people who don't have friends. And I love that about him. Oh, uh, he just, he, he looks out for the guys who are by themselves and he tries to befriend them. Um, but he got himself into a situation uh, this past summer, I think it was, um, where that group of people suddenly got in trouble. And there was all this doubt cast on them, like, were they responsible for this, this thing that had happened? And, you know, my son is like, uh, am I in trouble now? And he's trying to figure out. Um, and I just kind of had to let it play out. And later I went to him and confirmed that he hadn't done anything. He's like, I was just so worried, dad, that you thought that I had done this thing. I said, well, I didn't know. I didn't know if you'd done it or not. You know, uh, David, a man after God's own heart, you know, he, he did something that was, we thought he'd never do. And he just got shocked about that. But it gave us an opportunity to talk about influencing and whether we're the ones influencing people or being influenced. And what we had to recognize is that even even when we're doing our best to influence other people for good, they're still having some effect on us. He was in this group of people trying to be the friend, be the buddy and lift them up. And inevitably he was impacted by this, this situation. So, you know, Jesus ate with tax collectors and sinners, but it was purposeful. Right. Uh, it wasn't, they were enticing him to come and be with him. he's like, oh yeah, and just not aware of what was going on. So we want our, our sons to be lights in the world, um, but we've got to help them be aware and be wise of the consequences of their decisions. And I think Jonathan, you're exactly right. I think the definition of, a, of immaturity is not being aware of the consequences of our actions. Uh, and, and children just don't know that. We've got to guide them through that and help them to think about this could happen. This could be the result of what you decided to do. Yeah. So summing up some of this uh, Proverbs 1 through 4, listen to God. Listen to mom and dad. They, they've been through these things before. Uh, listen to people that will give you wisdom and correction. And the wise person appreciates correction. The fool, he hates it. No, listen to correction. End of chapter 1, listen to wisdom as she's crying in the street. But don't listen to sinners. All right. So that's going to bring us to chapter five. Uh, and, you know, raising young men in this age, it, it's always a challenge. But in an age where nudity is just promoted as a norm for entertainment, uh, when, it, when it's inserted into movies, magazine covers, all over the internet with all sorts of just filth, um, and then we hand, we hand electronics. We don't, we don't hand 10 year olds, you know, the keys to the car or, or a rifle without making sure that they're old enough and mature enough to learn to use it responsibly. The parents do that with electronics and, and it makes it even more difficult. So 
just um it's not just internet pornography but that's one of the things that's really a challenge is now raising boys and what are some things we can learn from chapter five about helping our sons just just real real quick scott on that um i think sometimes we're not aware as parents what our electronics are capable of um and Jonathan, you said earlier that you were better at your cell phone than your parents were. Um, I think sometimes it, it would it would be irresponsible for us to put into the hands of our children a device that's capable of great harm, and not even know that it's capable of that. Um, you know, your phone, your iPod, your Nintendo device, whatever it is. I think sometimes we're just we're not aware of what they can do, and. And that's that's on us. We've got to do our research. It takes a little more time. We we can't be lazy about that. We've got to be so careful about that. Yeah. And getting to your question, Scott, in chapter five, one of the first verses that that really sticks out to me um, is verse eight there in Proverbs five, um, where, which to me is kind of step one. Uh, keep your way far from her and do not go near the door of her house. <laughs> um, that's just a great principle. Don't, don't even mess with it. Don't even, don't even want to get close to it. Um, the Proverbs will talk later on uh, about kind of the parallel between this type of temptation and like getting burned by a fire. You know, can a man hold a fire close to his chest and not get burned? No. <laughs> uh, right. The closer the fire is to you, the more likelihood you're going to get burned. The easier it is, the more accessible it is, the closer you get to it, the more you try to tread the line, the more you're definitely probably going to fall. Um, and so, I don't know, there's this appeal, there's this draw, even to like really, really young kids. My son is, is 11 months old, about to be one soon. And there's this draw to like, wanna go and do the thing that you know you're not supposed to do. <laughs> like he understands you're not supposed to touch the outlet, but for some reason he's drawn to the outlet. <laughs> and, and we have to just train him. Like, Great. Get away from the outlet. Like, don't even get close to it. Don't even look at it. <laughs> and then you won't have to worry about it. And it's the same principle. Don't set yourself up for failure. Um, like if, you know, so with, you know, don't, don't put yourself in a situation where you're with another member of the opposite sex alone. Um, just don't do that. That's a rule and, and maintain that rule. Um, and other different kinds of rules like that are important to just establish boundaries that keep you far away from the possibility of falling to that temptation. Yes. Kind of, kind of on the outlet idea. Um, outlets are good, you know. Um, I don't know if it's good for us to train eleven, eleven month old to how to plug in the blender or something like that. But you know, at, at an age appropriate level, we're teaching our children. Here's how you plug in the vacuum cleaner. Now go have fun vacuuming. The kids three years old, they love the vacuum cleaner. Um, you know, they have their purpose, and so at age appropriate levels, we're teaching them that hey, this this thing has great power. And it's good, but it could be abused. And in the same way, um, I'm, I'm always a little concerned that we that we shy away from teaching our children about sex until they're 11, 12, 13 years old. Whereas in Proverbs stuff. 5, yeah, we, we miss all the first steps. Um, in Proverbs 5, he's not just saying, don't do this, stay away from that. He's also saying, but do this and give attention to that. In fact, the longest verse in the whole chapter is this triplet in verse 19, where he's just going on and on about getting carried away with uh, how wonderful uh, this sexual intimate relationship is with your wife. 
And so, you know, let your children in on that, but, but don't shy away from, oh, they're five, they're six, and they're asking questions about Abraham and Hagar, or they've got a question about Dinah or Judah and Tamar. Uh, it's, it's a wonderful opportunity. If, if family Bible reading is a part of our regular habit as a family, and we come to those passages, now's the time for us at age-appropriate levels to put yeah. into you know, their language. Let's talk about what happened here. And, um, and just give them some vocabulary so that it's not this weird, strange thing. And then suddenly the world hits them with it and they have no idea where to file it. Yeah. They, they have to know what to do with it. Or it's the mystery, you know, if Ray, it's like, man, you know, why am I being kept away from that outlet? What wonders and treasures must be there? You know, <laughs> sometimes when we're not giving information, it just feeds curiosity. And they're going to be curious. Let us be providing information. So, like you said, at age appropriate levels. Excellent. Very good. Other thoughts? Anybody? Well, the, the the story that we find here in, in Proverbs 5, it's, ri it's written as a story, right? Um, don't pay attention to her. Um, you know, stay in my discretion, he is saying, because she is this way. And this is the direction that she's going to go in verses 3 and 4 and 5 and 6. And that that is her path. That, that's the way that she's going to be. And as you keep reading through when you get caught up on that, you will also go the same way in, you know, nine and 10 and 11 and 12, so that you are crying in frustration. I went the wrong path. And to have that, to have that story sense, I mean, that's part of giving the child the vocabulary, uh, is that they can, they can see, even if they don't understand what every detail means, they can see um, a part of the curiosity is filled. Okay. Uh, my parents say, you know, for a little, little child, my parents say this is bad behavior, and I can see and understand that the, res the consequences are rough, both for the woman and for the man, and as they get older, um, you know, maybe they've read uh, more of the Bible stories themselves, maybe they've um, seen uh, movies where there are consequences in families, maybe they've read books where there are uh, results that, are, you know, life-changing things, maybe they know someone uh, a close friend who's had some some major consequences, and they can start piecing these things together, and to um, to to see this as a story that you can learn from, and you don't have to live out yourself is a very powerful tool in uh, in in teaching our children. Yeah, it, it we're we're training their hearts right. and teaching them to abhor what's evil, not to abhor the idea of sexuality, not to abhor the idea that a um, man in, uh, leaves his father and mother and cleaves to his wife and is intoxicated in her, uh, with, with her love and, and has children, but to abhor the abasement and, and prostitution of it. So help them develop that and, and it can help inoculate them. Dan. And, and I think that that might be one of the points in, in verse 12, you are groaning. Verse 11 talks about the groaning, and you, you have this whining and groaning and complaining about, oh, everything is so bad. And then you get down to um, um, 
not groaning and complaining, but just express, wow, everything is so good. And so it's those two different paths. Are you going to groan or are you going to sigh with joy? Right. And like this here, uh, lest you give your, keep your way far from her, lest you give your honors to others, lest strangers take their failures, shrink your labors, go to the house of foreigners. How many 25 year old guys, when they get their paycheck, you know, they're missing money because here's some money went to this baby mama. Here's some money went to this baby mama. Here's maybe money went to another, you know, paternity suit and such. And are those, are those women setting aside all that money, you know, for in a college fund, they're partying with their new boyfriend. Uh, and then the STDs in uh, verse 11, at the end of your life, you've grown your flesh and body are consumed. Lots of powerful things to help our kids understand. John. Oh, yeah, there's a comment from uh, John. He said the safeguards that we put in place with people of the opposite sex, like not being alone with them, et cetera, might be good, a good guideline for browsing the internet as well. Um, and, and that reminds me of this section in Proverbs 5. Uh, in verse 15 and following where it starts talking about drinking water from your own cistern and and you know let it be for yourself and and not for strangers and all that kind of stuff in verse 17 um that this is an exclusive kind of relationship in marriage that god has sanctioned and that's where this is appropriate um and sometimes i think one of the dangers of uh pornography is people can trick themselves into thinking that it's uh kind of like a victimless victimless crime like it's not it's not the same as adultery um you know it's not i'm not actually going out doing something with someone um and but it's still destructive you're still not keeping your relationship exclusive in the sanctioned marriage that god has established with purity and goodness and you're going to miss out on the blessings that god has planned in that relationship it's going to scar it's going to take away it's going to empty um, and, and so, you know, do things just for you, use your things, not someone else's things that have been given to you by God. And so I think that applies, you know, very physically with adultery and, and actual literal fornication, but it also applies with internet, uh, types of things as well. All right. Let's, uh, such good comments, guys. Um, let's jump to chapter six in the idea of work. Uh, we're not going to take time to talk about the. Uh, warnings here about uh, and elsewhere in Proverbs about kind of like co-signing and stuff. But there is the idea of debt. If you get yourself into debt, don't be trying to evade the debtor. Go, you know, get this taken care of. Uh, but let's look at this section about work because th this is, I believe, 100 years ago, 200 years ago, most boys were growing up on farms and if you're growing up on a farm what are you doing as soon as you're big enough to start doing stuff farm work yeah yeah and and you're going to get to play you know you're going to get to go hunting maybe or trapping or, or fishing or or riding your bike or jumping from the tree into the creek or whatever but that's after you get your work done you know there's things to do and then you had in the 1920s, you had the Roaring Twenties, which was an age of decadence. Then you had the Depression. And man, things were hard in the Depression, and it made people strong. And then World War II, and that was difficult. And then after World War II, late 40s, early 50s, 
the dads came back from World War II after having grown up in the Depression, and they got their GI Bill, and they get a job, and they get the picket fence in the house, and they decide, I don't want my kids to have it hard like we had it. And then it starts turning into childhood is just play, which there should be a lot of play in childhood. But now we've got young men that get married and still all they want to do is play. And they, they haven't grown up to be men and they just want to play and they don't have a sense of work. So somebody hit some of this text for us. I can read uh, six through eleven. It's just it's just worth worth hearing aloud. Go to yeah. the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief officer, she prepares her bread and supper and gathers her food in the harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? And when will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of your hands to rest, and poverty will come on to you like a robber and want like an armed man. Amen. I think one of the, the most impressive things to me about this is verse seven, where this aunt doesn't have anyone standing over her saying, all right, next go do this thing. And then next go do this thing. And by this time tomorrow, I want this thing done. It's, it's a, uh, an initiating sort of work. Um, that is such a valuable skill. And it's, it's good for men and women both. Um, but uh, I was thinking as we're kind of preparing individually for this study today, uh, what does it mean to be masculine? And I, the word that kept coming to my mind was initiative. Uh, even anatomically, I mean, the male is to initiate. Um, and so there's this uh, emasculation that happens when we let other people do for us what we should be doing for ourselves and then for other people. Ephesians 4, Paul talks about, you know, the thief no longer steal, but works that he may give to others. Uh, and so here's this aunt, and she knows well enough to just do without somebody telling her what to do. So our children, uh, we ought to be training them, especially our boys, to find things worth doing and doing them well and doing them to completion. Uh, I shouldn't have to tell my sons every day, have you brushed your teeth? Have you made your bed? Have you done your schoolwork? You know, have you done all your chores? Uh, why don't you go find your mom? And it's, it's such a joy to me now to see my children. Um, one of my boys, he stays up till you know, later than the other kids put them to bed. He's just that age. And it's kind of this shifting. Um, after the kids go to bed, he doesn't just goof off. He goes to the kitchen and starts unloading the dishwasher. And I'm looking around like, what are you doing? <laughs> you know, why don't you go, go play, go have fun? But but he, he's got this drive in him now where he wants to go help out. And then he sits down. And that was just a slow working process where he learned to to, there, there is joy in getting a job done. Yeah. And there's this reward of the rest that comes after. Yeah. And then they can also play and do things yes. that are fun and stuff, but they're they're not they're not just this indulgent waste. Right. Right. Re reward them for work well done. Uh, there was one summer where he worked really hard uh, doing the garden for us. 
And so we went in together and bought him in, uh, a, a video game, you know? And so now he, he gets that responsibility to wield too, but uh, rewarding them for good labor, it just, it feels better to be rewarded when you work versus just to get a thing just because. Yeah, yeah, sense of accomplishment, valuable, valuable thing. And that's preparing him to be a valuable asset as a husband to his future wife and children. Excellent. Mm -hmm. Excellent. All right, let's hit one more point here. Proverbs chapter six, there are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him. Number one, haughty eyes. Other translations, a proud look. Over and over in Proverbs, instruct a wise man, he's wiser, still correct wise man. He, I'm not quoting these, but it's a general idea. He'll love you for it. He'll be wiser now. He'll appreciate it. But correct a fool. And how does he respond? Like against it, hates you. Yeah, he hates it. He hates the instruction. He hates the wisdom. He can't stand it. He doesn't want to be corrected. And so I pointed out to people, you know, we've all taken COVID tests, you know, probably multiple times over the last year. And sometimes you're positive. Sometimes once I was positive back in December, the other times it was negative. So I got through it, got my antibodies and stuff now. But, you know, people want, do I have COVID? Do I have COVID? Well, here's the fool test. Am I a fool? Well, it's right here in Proverbs. I'm not going to take time to show all the verses, but here's how you find out if you're a fool. How do you respond to correction? If you appreciate it and become wiser still, Proverbs says you are wise. If you hate it, you're a fool. But here's the good part. It is not incurable. And you don't have to spend two weeks being a fool and being quarantined. You can decide to stop being a fool. And if you listening to the podcast or live right now, realize I'm a fool. I hate correction. I should change that. Just right now, you started acting wise. Good. <laughs> Continue, you know, and, and, and be over being a fool. Um, and so right here, a proud look right at the beginning. So how do we, and if, he, if each, of you want, each of you three will give some comment on how to train our sons to have humility. Uh, confidence, yes. Self-respect, yes. Enjoying getting things done. But how to train humility. If each of you can give uh, a comment on that and then uh, we'll wrap up. Well, I think a big part in this, because because it's th this is a hard skill, um, yeah. having habits that are humble habits can be easy to get, um, but having the humble heart is completely different. And so, training humble habits of yes, thank you, please, you, you know, you know, the, the, those sorts of habits are going to be a good step forward um, to get them in the right direction. At least they won't be making everyone around them angry at them, but. Without, without, without self-awareness, we cannot have self-control. And so I cannot control my pride and act in a, the way of humility without getting a good, the, good, the good skill at 
um, at looking at myself and, and thinking about myself, not um, staring at myself in the mirror because it's the only thing worth staring at, right. but paying attention to the way I react or to the way I behave around others. Um, and, and so much of it is that, that I find I'm work, I, I end up working with, with my uh, sons is um, trying to get them to think, how, how do you sound right now? Or how did you sound when you were talking with your brother? Or how do you think you sounded? Describe it to me. Describe what you said. Describe um, how they responded. And getting them to voice things out loud to um, kind of sometimes even relive an exchange. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Jonathan. Um, I think uh, coming from the parents' responsibility to do that, just an, an observation from my childhood, is there can be a danger in um, teaching your children to be under the illusion that they're the best at everything and no one is ever better than them. And wow, they're so perfect. Um, parents really want to do that, I think, sometimes and, and overly praise. And praise is important kids need to be praised whenever they do well and and noticed when they do well but also understand that they fail and people are better at things than they are yeah so they they don't always have to be the best in the room because that's really kind of the root of pride thinking that i'm i'm better than everyone um and nobody nobody should be able to tell me what to do because i'm the expert at everything well you're just not and and it would be a really sad world if you were the expert at everything and no one was better than you. Yes. Uh, yes. And, and helping kids to realize that and to appreciate when people are better at things than they are and congratulate when people are better at things than they are. Um, and then be humble when they are better at things than other people. And, and, you know, help maybe coach people to gain skills or things like that, rather than just rubbing their greatness in someone's face. But that can be a real draw for parents to want to do just like, like my child's the best. Look at all my child's trophies. My child's better than your child. And it's like, well, maybe in some areas, but not in everything. <laughs> yeah. Justin and then Dan. Uh, you know, with, with humility, how to train your children to be, be humble. Um, I, I don't think you'll see anywhere in the Bible where God humbles somebody, maybe humiliates somebody or brings them low. Um, but, but you can't humble somebody. They have to choose humility. Uh, you, you can debase them. You, you can bring them low. You can punish them on and on, but someone has to choose humility. Uh, so we're limited in that, but I appreciate Dan's comment about the humble habits. Um, one of the things I think we need to do is pray with our children in a meaningful way. Um, because that's one of the, the ways that we, we express our humility is whether we're actually physically bowing the knee before our creator. Uh, we're at least acknowledging we're not in charge. We are beggars before him. We are admitting our faults regularly uh, before him and before other people as we pray. Uh, keeping God in the room is so crucial. When I, I find that my children have been prideful in a response to other, other people uh, or just attitude in general, uh, we'll stop and we'll talk about, okay, where's, where's God in the picture here? Or what would Jesus have done in this situation? How would he have responded to your sibling? What kind of big brother would Jesus be here? And, and that just, that changes their perspective suddenly. Um, we, we need to remember we're not all that great. Uh, the great one is Jesus and wisdom begins with the fear of the Lord. And so if we're not thinking of him as great, then somebody's got to fill that void. Might as well be me. Uh, that, that's where pride starts to get in. Yeah. Damn. 
what Justin, sorry, what Jonathan was saying just reminded me of just a, a practical way of, of interacting where you want to tell your child that you think they're the best, but also not saying that they are literally the best. Um, there's a kind of a scientific and, and an art program where you are looking at the object and you draw the object. So you're studying a leaf, you're studying a flower petal pattern or whatever. And the instruction to the parents is always don't tell them you're, um, make, you want the kids to participate. So you say, oh, it, it doesn't matter how good a job you do. Just, just try, do your best and try. So that's what you want to say as a parent. And then the child comes back with the picture. And if you say, oh, that's beautiful, then you just change the rules. <laughs> you said, oh, that's the best picture I've ever seen. You've just gone against what you set them up for. But if you say, I like the way you drew the detail. Um, the, the leaf edge was jagged and you drew a jagged leaf edge or uh, the color is a good match. And so what you're training your, yourself and your children to do is to recognize the, the aspects or the parts of their performance that is right in line because no one's gonna do 100% of the performance 100% perfect, but you find the parts that are right. And it trains both you and the child to understand and appreciate, wow, this part was great. Um, and it's not a make-believe that everything I've done is great. I want to throw one in one thing here right at the end, and then Jonathan will close us out. The importance of apologizing and admitting when we're wrong. Amen. Um, too many men and, and some women, sometimes they won't see they're wrong. Sometimes they see they're wrong, but they won't admit it. They'll maybe change track, but they'll never admit it. And they'll try to say, oh, well, that's what I meant. No, when we're wrong, being able to admit that, and that's an easy thing to help children do. For instance, if they're being punished, it's not just, okay, I spanked him. I sent him to his room. I'm done. No. Did he apologize to mom for using that sassy tone? Did he apologize to, to mom for having told her a lie or, you know, whatever it was there, you know, there needs to be the, the prodigal son is the, the, the example of the great apology in the Bible. You know, he decides this is what I'm going to say. And I don't, I don't deserve this. I have great apology there. Um, so teaching them, training them. And one way we can do that is when they see mom and dad do that. Amen. Because mom and dad never admit when they're wrong and never apologize. It's going to be hard to train the kids to. All right. Well, thank you guys for your discussion on that. Thank you to our audience for tuning in with us and all of your comments and thoughts through the show. Uh, again, we'll just remind everyone if you want to further interact with us or have uh, any more specific questions you'd like us to discuss on the show, you can visit our website at BibleQuest.tv and just go to the Tuesday Talk Show tab at the top and you can enter your name, email address, and your question or comment there. We'll be able to monitor those. And you can also go to the podcast and recordings page and re-listen to or share any of our uh, shows that we've done in the past. Both the Tuesday shows and the Wednesday shows are available on that tab. So uh, we want to thank everyone for coming in. That's all that we have planned for this week. And we will plan on seeing you all next time. Lord willing.